The Interchange is brought to you by Schneider Electric. Did you know that we've built more microgrids in the U.S. than anyone else? These self-contained electrical networks allow you to generate your own electricity on-site and use it when you need it most. Keep your power on during a grid outage. Store electricity and sell it back during peak demand times. Integrate with renewables such as wind and solar. With a microgrid, you get energy control on your terms. See what's possible at www.se.com backslash US backslash microgrid. There's been a lot of talk about clean energy, about energy transition and reducing emissions, but it's taken quite a long time for that to kind of translate into real change. And it's been a relatively slow and incremental process. And I feel there's a lot more momentum now. You need to come up with a technology that can solve problems as well. This is The Interchange, Recharged. I'm David Van Miller. The race to decarbonize is well underway. Every day I see new initiatives and technologies which could solve some of the biggest challenges we face in getting to net zero. It's a learning curve for me, but I'm all in, and I hope you are too. So join me as I navigate through the world of clean technology, and together we can learn something new on every episode of the podcast. The world is undergoing a slow but much-needed transition. The need to phase out fossil fuels and transition to renewable sources of energy was a major theme at COP27. But with past efforts to reach certain goals falling short, what technologies are being developed to put us back on track? On this episode, I'm joined by Frederick Mole, CEO at Highstar, a high-tech company specializing in PEM electrolyzers to produce green hydrogen for water electrolysis. With their unique and patented technology, They hope to make the production of hydrogen from renewable electricity significantly more affordable and more accessible. Listen in as we discuss how this technology works, what makes it unique, and what else can be done to further the energy transition. Frederick, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about Highstar and the technology you have developed as it relates to hydrogen production. So at Highstar, we're developing and producing an advanced electrolyzer. What makes it advanced uh, is really three, three things. It's first of all that we have the most efficient electrolyzer uh, in the world, I think we can say. And we also have a very uh, strong safety advantage with our, with our patented technology. And finally, it's a technology that can scale very quickly and we can mass produce uh, this electrolyzer at, at very high volume. And so where are you in the process right now? So we've been testing several thousand hours at our lab, but also at Syntef, which is one of our our shareholders and where the technology was developed originally. So Syntef is a research institute here in Norway, so we're a spin-off from from that company. And now we're busy producing and assembling the uh, first full-scale system that will be delivered uh, less than a year from now, and that will be to Equinor and uh, Yara. So what else makes Highstar uh, unique? Obviously, you've got the patented technology, but what else is there? Well, that's really the core of what makes us unique is our patented technology. And I think that in itself is kind of the unique feature of Highstar. A lot of electrolyzer companies are expanding and uh, working on cost reductions and capacity increases and so on. But you know, there ha- hasn't really been any big technology improvements in terms of uh, efficiency, if you look at the market today. So that's really what we bring to the market now, is a completely uh, new way of operating an electrolyzer. 
which gives us that significantly higher efficiency and will reduce the, the cost of, uh, of green hydrogen. Yeah, so the IEA uh, came out and said that the cost of producing hydrogen from renewable sources could fall approximately 30% by 2030. How do you see your role in that? I mean, do you think you can actually bring those costs down further with the further development of this technology? Yeah, definitely. I think we will uh, be able to take a leading position in that process. There are kind of two aspects to bringing the cost of green hydrogen down. It's, first of all, the OPEX side of, of things, you know, how much electricity do you need to produce uh, one molecule of, of hydrogen? And that's where we... Uh, we have a very big advantage given that we have the ability to use thin membranes. We can get into the technology later, but that's really the source of the majority of losses in an electrolyzer is the resistance across the membrane. And we're able to use significantly thinner, thinner membranes, which gives us a much higher, higher efficiency. So the OPEX is one side, but then there's also the CAPEX. You know, can you produce the equipment at, uh, at lower cost? And, than today, and uh, a lot of people are, are working on, on that, and volume plays a big part here as well, of course. Uh, electrolyzer industry is fairly, fairly small, I think we can say, at the moment. You know, last year, there were probably around 300 megawatts uh, uh, installed uh, or delivered in total, and um, you know, looking forward, uh, you know, almost everyone who has any opinion of, about the market are at least in the multi-gigawatt sort of uh, per year scale if you look at the market going forward to the next five to ten years. Yeah, so it sounds like it's a really scalable technology. I mean, where do you see it over the next five or ten years on your ability to scale up uh, with demand? Well, we're in a pretty, we feel we're in a pretty good, uh, good position there given the supply chain that we can use. So our philosophy at Highstar is uh, to produce all the components with uh, external suppliers. So we have subcontractors we work closely with. So on all of the key components of an electrolyzer, like the catalyst-coated membranes and the bipolar plates and uh, all the other stuff we need to produce, uh, that's done externally. And we work with um, established suppliers who are already in mass production and who are delivering at large scale today. So again, not the typical electrolyzer component uh, manufacturers, but uh, the guys who are producing in high volume for the fuel cell industry. So we can scale uh, very quickly from that point of view. We do need to invest in our internal operations and assembly process as well. So that's something that we're working on at the moment. So as a first stage, we're investing in an uh, automized assembly line uh, here at High Star. And that will be for at least a gigawatt uh, initially, uh, possibly more. So that's a production line that will be operational in 2025. Uh, but in the meantime, we're, uh, we're also uh, assembling these units uh, in a more kind of a semi-automated or manual, manual fashion, so we can still produce uh, tens of megawatt in our current uh, setup, but uh, going forward, we'll have a gigawatt. And hydrogen, obviously, is a very hot topic these days uh, as playing a critical role in the energy transition. What's your overall thoughts on hydrogen going forward and its impact on transition to a low carbon environment? Well, uh, needless to say, I'm pretty, pretty positive and upbeat about, uh, about the prospects of, of green hydrogen. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of coverage uh, in the media about use of hydrogen and you know, uh, uh, quite a big focus on 
you know, cars and, and trains and planes. Uh, and that's probably a market that uh, is the least, uh, or is definitely is the least mature market for the use of hydrogen. So where we see the uh, kind of low-hanging fruit, if you like, or the kind of early, early large, uh, exciting markets, we're talking about industrial applications to a large extent, like like uh, ammonia for uh, for fertilizer production as a, as a kind of example that's relevant to us. We just signed up our first project with one of the world's largest fertilizer uh, producers, Yara Clean Clean Ammonia. So applications like that, steel production will be will be interesting as well, and any kind of kind of process industry that uses hydrogen as a feedstock. I think that those will be uh, very exciting applications, which are already using hydrogen today you know it's an existing hydrogen market and uh, you know we shouldn't forget that uh, there's about 100 billion dollars worth of hydrogen uh, sold in the, in the market but it's all it's all gray basically or most of it uh, is gray and and that's definitely our um, kind of short term focus is to look at uh, those markets but uh, going forward you have new applications as well yeah, the ammonia side is really interesting because, uh, I mean, the production of ammonia is energy-intensive process, and ammonia is about a 200 million ton a year industry, of which 70 to 80 percent goes to the production of fertilizer. And, and there's a high focus on green ammonia production. So your your partnership with Yara is is really interesting because that's an area that that needs to be addressed given its impact on the food supply. On your partnership with Yara, uh, what kind of impact do you see that having going forward? You know, first and foremost, uh, it's our first full-scale installation where we will run a full-size uh, unit uh, in, in sort of a customer environment. And in addition to Yara, Equinor, the Norwegian energy company, is also part of it, as well as uh, the leading gas distribution company in, uh, uh, in Norway, Gasco. So it's sort of a three-customer project that for us is... Um, Point one, a great uh, reference project for us, uh, where we can showcase our technology under uh, kind of uh, realistic uh, field conditions. And of course, having companies like uh, Yara and, and Equinor uh, on that project, we kind of see it as a qualification process, if you like, to, to deliver large-scale projects, not only to them in the future, but, uh, but to other companies uh, or other customers around the world as well. From our point of view, a great customer reference reference project, and also uh, a good way for us to qualify qualify the project for for large scale assemblies. So we, you know, large scale production. We don't go, you know, we see the projects in the future. We see the size of projects in the hydrogen space growing. A few years ago, a one megawatt electrolyzer was a pretty big installation. Uh, today, the largest uh, installation in operation is around twenty megawatts. You know, but in five years and certainly in 10 years, you'll see earlier than five years, even you'll see uh, plants of hundreds of megawatts uh, being installed. And those projects are now being being developed and the first contracts are being signed. And uh, everything we do now, including that initial uh, one and a half megawatt project uh, that we have with Yara and Equinor, that's there too. As a, as a key step to, to go for those large, uh, large scale projects uh, a couple of years down the road. The Interchange is brought to you by Schneider Electric. Are you looking for more energy control, but worry about the upfront costs of a microgrid and renewables? We have you covered. 
Schneider Electric offers energy as a service for customers like you who spend $40,000 or more each month on energy. With energy as a service, you get customized solutions to help you meet goals for sustainability, efficiency, and cost control, including a microgrid and adjacent energy infrastructure. We also handle every step of the process and assume financial and operational risks. Upgraded electrical equipment, reduced emissions, predictable long-term pricing. Energy as a Service provides all of this and more. Visit www.se.com backslash US backslash EAAS to find out if Energy as a Service is right for you. And that's a real positive uh, given your cost reduction uh, technology applications because ammonia, the traditional ammonia market is highly price sensitive. To, so to the ability to be able to bring down costs in the production process, uh, particularly for something that is is critical to global food supply, and it just furthers the support behind the energy transition and, and making sure that all areas and aspects are addressed uh, for a cleaner environment. Let's talk a little bit about the technology that, that you developed, the, the thinner membrane. How, how does that work? So it's, in fact, a pretty simple uh, idea or, or, or operating principle, if you like. The majority of the losses in an electrolyzer, they're due to the resistance across the membrane, so ohmic resistance across the membrane. You have an anode and a cathode, and you have a membrane in, in, in between. Ideally, you'd like that membrane to be infinitely thin. That would maximize the efficiency. Very few other, other losses other than the resistance across that membrane. So that's what you know, the inventors of, uh, of the technology, they're currently uh, CTO and chief product officer here at Highstar. That was their initial, initial thought. You know, how could we, what would we need to do to use a thin membrane? Because the challenge with a thin membrane, you know, if you could just make it thinner, you know, that would be fine because thin membranes exist. They're used in fuel cells. So what we're using is, in fact, a standard mass-produced fuel cell membrane. They're about a tenth of the thickness compared to an electrolyzer membrane. The challenge, though, with a thin membrane is you will have hydrogen crossing over uh, if the membrane is too thin, crossing over from the cathode to the anode, and uh, the anode side is where you have oxygen and the cathode side is where you have hydrogen and if too much hydrogen kind of travels over through the membrane to the oxygen side you'll eventually have a pretty explosive gas mixture there Uh, so that's why you need to have a relatively thick membrane so that's been the challenge for for decades yeah exactly the the thinner membrane which obviously helps with the energy efficiency uh, but you've been able to develop the technology to have the thinner membrane with safety features embedded with it, but the technology is scalable, which is which is a huge benefit because uh, one of the last guests we had, we talked about COP27 and where we are today versus promises made out of COP26 and as we've made progress, but we're not making as much progress towards the energy transition as we need to. And there really needs to be actions taken to accelerate from what we've been doing and having a technology that increases the energy efficiency uh, develops areas of the energy transition, but is able to scale up uh, in other areas in a rapid fashion, really kind of ticks a lot of those boxes. As you've gone through the financing side of things, how have you found the investor responses to not only the the technology that High Stars developed, but just the overall attitude towards the energy transition? 
I mean, uh, you know, coming out of the spinoff and then raising your own capital and how you see that capital raising activity going forward. Well, that's uh, it's, uh, <laughs> interesting. Interested that interesting that you asked that question because I've been I've uh, I've been in the energy transition for most of my career, but also been raising money for for most of my career <laughs> working within the clean energy space and. Uh, the level of interest that I have seen in the last uh, couple of years uh, has been orders of magnitude greater than than what I've seen uh, uh, in early uh, in earlier times. And uh, you know, there are several factors, uh, of course, but uh, a general kind of uh, observation or trend is that uh, you both have uh, a lot more investors who focus specifically on. Uh, uh, on clean tech, to use that term, uh, but you also have a, sort of a large swath of uh, generalist investors who commit large amounts of capital to um, to clean energy technology. So uh, uh, there's more money out there, and there's uh, it's sort of become more of a mainstream segment if you like to invest in. So there's a lot more momentum and and capital behind. That. So we've had a lot of interest, <laughs> to put it mildly, and uh, from from investors, yeah. Yeah, the the market's definitely growing for that, and th- that's why I like the the technologies I hear about High Star that has a cost reduction component to it, because I mean people are still looking at returns, right? They've got money focused on green technology or or their investments that have a green aspect to it are viewed very positively, but you still have to look at the the overall returns. And so when you've got technology that's helping commercialize a market, reducing costs. So that that can help with the expansion, help with the returns for investors. That's just going to have more money flowing in. That again accelerates the energy transition. And as as I mentioned earlier, you know, there was sort of a a period where uh, green energy was kind of uh, hot from an investor point of view as well. You know, uh, from kind of uh, around '99 to early 2000s, uh, and I think uh, no, there probably weren't too many. Uh, kind of uh, big financial successes that came out of of that a few, but uh, and some of the companies are now developing well, like you know the major fuel cell companies for sure. You know some of them are still around and and uh, were kind of got their first sort of major funding you know, during that period. But it's taken time, I think, for the market to mature, for some of the technologies to to mature, and it's taken quite a long time. But I think right now there's a lot more momentum and intent and the technology is at at the right level to to scale now and the um, the market is ready and the customers are are ready and the kind of regulatory aspects are developing as well in in a, in a positive way but it's still uh, you know it's still uh, it's called energy transition for a reason of course it's still a transition and uh, uh, there are a lot of challenges ahead of us and uh, you know what the market will look like and who will be the uh, most impactful uh, players out there and even in the next four to five years i think it's pretty open you know it's not an industry where you have dominant uh, companies who've been in this market and you know sold sold for billions you know over many years it's uh, kind of an emerging market uh, that's growing very fast and we're kind of it's uh, it's pretty open yeah and you're right i mean from the beginning excitement around uh carbon reduction uh, from 99, 2000, like you said. Technology has developed obviously further since then, but then you've also got the social pressures that are much more prevalent uh, than they were 20 years ago. 
which kind of gets into my next question about how, how have you seen the regulatory environment response to the energy transition and, and, and the positive things that have been done to further the transition, but maybe what else could be done? Well, I think, first of all, it's on the uh, agenda to a large extent, top and center with a lot of uh, governments and countries around the world now. So you see the sort of narrative and the focus has changed. And of course, uh, you know, that in itself is not good enough, but we've seen that, you know, as you said, public opinion as well uh, has been um, uh, pushing this further. But, you know, we see there's a lot more funding available for new green hydrogen projects uh, kind of on the on the customer side, uh, but there's also been more funding available for development of of new technology, and that's something that we have benefited from as well. So we've received um, uh, quite good funding from, from the Norwegian government, and uh, we expect to receive funding from uh, Europe as well going forwards for, uh, for new projects that are, are coming up. So that's, uh, that's I think, things been positive. We see the... Uh, very recent developments, uh, also from uh, from your uh, neck of the woods, with uh, Biden's latest uh, act, uh, with the uh, you know three dollars per uh, per kilo uh, uh, incentive that uh, has put in. I think that's that's the type of uh, kind of regulatory initiatives that uh, that are important and that we need to see see more of to to stimulate the uh, use of hydrogen in that transitional phase. You know to to give give that uh, sort of a, a, a kickstart, if you like. So that's uh, there are some positive developments there, and we need to see see more of that going forward. And and obviously looking at uh, you know emissions trading and carbon credits and and, and uh, that side of things as well that, that can mature and develop further. That can also have a very important impact, positive impact on uh, on the energy transition. So where do you see the hydrogen market in? 20, 30 years. Actually, why don't we say you know 2050, which is a date that yeah. uh, people throw out there for a lot of targets. But when you look at hydrogen, we've obviously talked, we think it's going to be a, a critical piece. Um, but where do you see it? And, and what other applications maybe do you see where hydrogen or, or even going into further down the chain, like ammonia as the feedstock for certain areas, how do you see it playing a critical piece? Yeah, so I think the the first part is is definitely uh, industry where you're using feedstock, and you have, you know, as we talked about uh, earlier today, all of the ones who are using hydrogen today. You know, I think by then you should see, you know, gray hydrogen would have been phased out. I would say 2050 is when you would see kind of green hydrogen uh, dominating the that market, the feedstock uh, market, and uh, you, you'll have new applications. You know, e-fuels is uh, coming up as an interesting, interesting segment uh, that's also emerging, and they they need hydrogen as uh, as their main feedstock as well. So there are also new, call them industrial, and a large large scale applications coming up. The steel industry will be really exciting. You know, we have uh, close contact with a number of the world's largest steel companies, and they're all actively. Uh, using or they all have uh, active plans to use uh, green hydrogen um, in their steel making process, make green steel and kind of replace coal as a reduction uh, agent with uh, with hydrogen. Uh, so I think uh, that's a process that will take some time because it's these are big big companies, but they all all have a very serious. Uh, the ones we're talking to for sure are, are very serious about uh, switching over to, to hydrogen and. That's a massive, massive market uh, in itself. 
so you know I'm I'm one can discuss how many gigawatts per year will be uh, sold annually, and that's anyone's guess really. But we're talking a multi multi gigawatt and you know really a, you know and or, or tens of gigawatt market annually. Uh, you know much sooner than than, than twenty fifty for sure. So it's going to be a major major uh, industry uh, by uh, I would say by by twenty thirty. It's always interesting in the discussions that I have, not only with industry participants, but the banking community as well, is the focus on, you know, not only scope one and two, but three emissions. And so you're really looking down the supply chain and how green the process is and not just kind of greenwashing certain things. It's really a focus. And and I find that interesting just as we're looking down the road, that there is that focus on it, because that's only going to help the overall decarbonization in the environment. Yeah, and of course, that's key for us as well. We need renewable renewable power to pr- produce green hydrogen, and, and renewable power needs, uh, needs us. Uh, they need green hydrogen to, to scale up uh, renewable energy as well. So that's a very much a kind of codependent or symbiotic uh, relationship there, you know, uh, once you get up to 20 30 percent renewable power within within a national grid you need to have some kind of grid balancing and power storage and i think uh, hydrogen will play a key role there and uh, and of course we need access to a lot more renewable power going forwards as well so uh, so yeah the whole whole uh, value chain there is uh, is important uh, you know you've been uh, operating in in, in Europe um, with High Star and, and your previous career, what, what kind of lessons learned do you think could come out of some of your experiences? Particularly, the U.S. is is behind uh, on certain aspects. So, given your background in clean tech energy and your long career in it, what are some of the lessons that you've learned on your journey that you think should be applied for everybody kind of going forward as it relates to the broader energy transition? Well, I guess the lessons learned from the past, which I hope won't apply too much <laughs> for the future, is that things can take a lot longer than you expect, right? And, uh, uh, you know, you've seen... So that's been the main lesson learned, I guess, that there's been a lot of talk about uh, clean energy, about energy transition and reducing emissions and all of that. That's been been discussed for as long as I've been involved, uh, for sure. And it's been, you know, relatively important as well, but it's taken quite a long time for that to kind of translate into into real uh, a real change and 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 the real projects it's been a relatively slow and incremental process and maybe not you know not with a, with enough support from from uh, governments and uh, industry has sort of been uh, you know there's been a high degree of greenwashing uh, you know during uh, during the last 20 years uh, as well and you know there's still some of that also but uh, you know, I feel there's a lot more momentum now, uh, but that's um, kind of one uh, one lesson, I guess. And the other lesson is that you need to come up with uh, with a technology that can uh, solve problems as well. So as kind of looking at it from my point of view or from an OEM's point of view, you can't just sit there and wait for governments and customers to come to you either. You need to to look at what what you can do from a technology product point of view to unlock new opportunities and, and new markets and solve solve the energy transition uh, from that perspective. And uh, that's not 
not that easy either and it takes a lot of money and smarts and and uh, time as well but uh, i think in general you know with the, with the clean energy industry you need to have there needs to be a lot of capital av available and you need to kind of go go for it in in a uh, in a uh, bigger way than perhaps in other industries that are less capital intensive uh, this is much more capital intensive so you need uh, money available you need the kind of uh, market and regulatory environment to be receptive if you like and then you need to to have the right technology and product and um, these things need to kind of come together it seems like we're getting there now i think that's my uh, my, my my field but uh, there are a lot of uh, moving parts still but there's a much stronger momentum for sure now than than only a few years ago and uh, we do we do actually see large serious projects being kind of approved now and, and going forward so i'm sure we'll see uh, we've already seen some of them but there will be a lot of announcements in the next uh, six to twelve months uh, i'm sure for for additional sort of larger scale green hydrogen projects yeah i mean that's right and just as it relates to a number of technologies I mean, a number of guests have said uh, to really make an impact, it's a technology that can have an impact on a global scale uh, being developed, and two, that can be scalable, at least in, in somewhat of a reasonable time frame. And it just seems that there's a lot more technologies that meet those two criteria going forward, which I think is one of the reasons you're seeing more cash come into into the to the transition governments are behind it you're seeing these like you said the large projects that are getting approved on the hydrogen side and so a lot of those start start coming together which just is going to help accelerate it because like i said based on the un report we're not where we need to be uh to meet the meet the targets that were outlined but what you hope to see is a little bit more of a snowball effect as some of this happens. So maybe we're not making the progress of where we should be today, but maybe that means the next two years will be faster than the two years after that will be faster than those. And just really that acceleration of the energy transition, which is what we'd obviously all hope to see. No, I do expect to see that acceleration. And the kind of question is how quickly will, uh, will, will it accelerate? But we're, um, it's, uh, I, uh, I believe it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, happening in a, happening for real if you like now it's uh, a lot more mature technologies and and products out there as well that have been in the field and we have uh, good uh, there are some good reference projects and uh, things are uh, things are are happening on the ground now uh, i think that's that's uh, something that we're clearly seeing uh, a development day by day and you know things that are you know, not uh, public yet, uh, perhaps in many cases, but uh, that are being are, are close to close to being being public. So we'll see that acceleration for sure already this year. You know, when once people start talking about numbers for 2022, which will be in a few months, I guess I'm pretty sure there will be a, a quite a, a significant growth compared to the uh, previous year. Well, Frederick, I appreciate you coming on the show. Really interesting discussion, and I'm anxious to see how. High Star uh, performs going forward, and some of these projects come online, and the scalability around around your hydrogen process. So, uh, really appreciate your time. Yes, thank you, David. Same to you. Enjoyed speaking with you today as well. Mm -hmm.